Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Matthew chapter number 20. Amen. I want to read a few verses of scripture starting with verse number 29 today. Matthew 20 and verse number 29. The Bible states these words here in the New Testament. It says, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by cried out saying have mercy on us O Lord thou son of David and the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace but they cried the more saying have mercy on us O Lord thou son of David and Jesus stood still and called them and said what will ye that I shall do unto you they say unto him Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. This morning, verse number 32 again, if you will, look at the question that Jesus asked these two blind men. He asked them, what will ye that I shall do unto you? Or if we can get it out of the King James Version and just say it in our just common language, what do you want me to do to you? What do you want me to do to you? And so this morning, I want to preach this, do it to them. Or for Southern Illinoisers, do it to them. All right? Just do it. Just do it to them. All right? Let's pray today. Father, I come to you this morning. I'm asking God that that same spirit, God, that we have felt, Lord Jesus, in this place would, Lord, come up under our arms right now and be a support to us, God, through your word. I pray, Jesus, each and every individual, set it into the sound of my voice, if we could just focus for the next little while, God, upon these verses of Scripture. And, Lord, you could relay something, God, into our hearts, into our souls, that we would be touched afresh, God, by your word this morning. Believe, God, that you can do anything and all things. And, Lord, do it, Lord Jesus, unto us. God is my prayer even today. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. Do it to them. Do it to them. Amen. In our modern day society, the world in which we live, it seems as though the idea is a little different. It seems as though people want God to do things, everybody say for. They want God to do things for them. They want him to act on their behalf. They have somewhat of a skewed understanding or skewed view, an idea of God. Uh, they sometimes, I believe seriously, that sometimes believe, people believe that God is similar to a little genie in a lamp. That if they can just rub a few times that he will appear and he will grant them three of their wishes and he's at their beckoning and at their command. And so we live in a society that is greatly influenced by that type of mindset and idea. They want stuff done for them and not necessarily to them. Uh, They have the do not touch me attitude. Leave me as I am. Leave me alone. Just work for me. 
do something for me. The Bible tells us, and we understand that these two blind men could have asked Jesus to help them get somewhere because they're blind. Of course, unable to really do that with uh, easiness on their own. They could ask the Lord, please help me to get from Jericho to over to Bethany or, or please allow me, uh, allow uh, yourself to be our eyes in some way. Get something for us, do something for us. But if that were their question or if that is what they would have desired, that would have done nothing for their blindness. That would have done nothing for this limiting condition of being able to see in their life. So instead of doing something for them, Jesus did something to them. The Old Testament story of generations gone by, the Old Testament believers knew very well the works of the Lord. Uh, he did many mighty things among and amidst his people throughout the Old Testament. His works, the Bible says, were like parables and stories that each generation retold and passed down to the generation that was succeeding them. It was, it was just like a story that they told about what God did in their day and what God did in their generation. And then they would hand that down to their children and their children's children just by retelling the story. We get a sense of this in the Bible in the book of Psalms. The Bible is speaking in Psalm 78 and it seems as though Asaph, one of the musicians, is declaring this or writing this and Asaph makes a declaration unto God. He says, God, we will not hide such things from our children. In other words, we're gonna tell the stories. He says, we're going to make known the praises of the Lord and we're gonna talk about his strength and we're going to talk about the wonderful works of the Lord. And then the Bible for the next 68 verses of Psalm 78 is Asaph recalling the numerous times that God had worked for the children of Israel. That God had worked for his people throughout their history. It's just like bullet points on a piece of paper that Asaph was just marking every time that God had come through for them. David even said in the Psalms of Psalms 145 in verse 4, he says, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. David says, I'm not going to allow this thing to go unsaid about what God has done for us and what God has done for me. And scripture just keeps on reiterating what God has done, not just for Israel, but what God has done for the church. Numerous times we read in scripture, for instance, in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord speaking to Israel, and we hear this not just in Exodus, but oft times in Deuteronomy as well. The Bible says the Lord shall fight for you. Oft times before they went out in battle, they would hear those words being instructed by the man of God of their hour. Amen. As coming from heaven, the Lord is going to fight. Everybody say, for, for you. In Exodus 16 and 4, the Bible says, Then sent the Lord unto Moses, and behold, I will rain bread from heaven for 
you, no doubt talking about the manna that would fall from heaven that was white as a coriander seed that was sweet to the taste and at other times tasted like oil. He says, the Lord said, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to cause bread from heaven to fall. Everybody say, for for you and again and again in Leviticus and also in Numbers we read about the Old Testament character known as the high priest what he would do for Israel once a year which was nothing more than prefiguring what Jesus Christ would do for us as our high priest and the Bible says what he would do in Leviticus and Numbers you read this so often the Bible says that that high priest would make an atonement make an atonement for you. Everybody say, for me. God's working for us. God's doing things for us. In Joshua 2.10, the Bible says, they, the people of the land of Canaan that they were going to take over, they said, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. So not only was this a generation of people, generation after generation that learned what God had done for their ancestors, they knew what God was doing for them and even their enemies and their foe had knowledge of God working for them and doing for them. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 12, 24, it even states this, you must give consideration. You need to wake up and pay attention and understand. Consider how great things he, speaking of God, have done for you. This is Samuel speaking to Israel. He says, boys, he says, you need to take inventory right now and realize how great things God has done for you and worked for you. Someone say amen. amen. The Bible says in the New Testament, in speaking of Jesus Christ, in Luke, and I'm not going from Genesis to Revelation, but in Luke 22 and verse 19, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he says, my body, he said, which is given for you. In verse 20, he said, my blood, which is get shed for you. It's for me. Someone say, for me. Someone say, God's doing something for me. Man, God's doing something for me. He told them before he left in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place, he said, for you. In the epistles, whenever Peter is writing and pinning in 1 Peter 5, the Bible says that Peter said, God careth for you. Someone say amen. And yet in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is searching as, as he is being inspired and he's inspired Matthew to write the words, Jesus is searching for a workable comparison, amen, for the generation that he was living in. He wanted some type of comparison for the present generation who had the stories and had the parables that were told to them from generations ago. He was trying to make a comparison to the present generation because they had a lot of history they could look back on and say the Lord has done some big things for our mothers and our fathers and our grandparents for the history of our nation of Israel. God has done some big things but Jesus is looking for a comparison for his generation in Matthew 11 and verse 16 the Bible says but where unto shall I Jesus is saying but where unto shall I liken this generation this generation that have been inheritors of everything that God had done for them he says it is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, 
we have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Jesus says, this generation that's had so much done for them and their ancestry, he says, I compare them to, the only comparison that I got is that they are like children that are at play with one another. And these children are enacting, you, if you will, the realities of life that they've seen adults respond to. You've all experienced that sometime. If you've had children, if not, you will. And you've been there yourself. They all like a certain time in their life. They play house. Uh-huh. And what they do is they, they reenact the rows just like they've seen adults do and respond. Uh, if you're in a Christian home, they play church. They come and get prayer for each other. They baptize each other. Uh-huh. They play musical instruments. Whenever I was a kid, I was the preacher. I preached out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Amen. And so you play household. He says they're just like children that's playing with one another. And they're reenacting some of these, some of these realities of life that they've seen adults respond to. And whenever they do this, they're doing nothing more but mimicking what they have seen and mimicking what they've been exposed to. And, and so here are children, he says, they're just like children and they're playing music. And the music that they are playing is, is the music that's associated with weddings and it's associated with festivals. And there's always music during those times. So they're probably playing music because of that. And the normal response in their culture to the music was then for the adults to dance. And so they're saying they're piping. They're piping, said, but there's no dancing going on. And they say, on the other hand, that they're practicing the ritual of a funeral and they're mourning and they're sobbing and the response that they're looking for because this is the way that it happened in the real world is for somebody else to join in the mourning with their personal lamentation and lamenting. They said these kids are mourning but somebody else is not joining in with the lamentation. And so Christ is saying, my generation is like a bunch of kids. That's enacting all of these events, but with preconceived outcomes. This is what's going to happen when I do this. He says they know the row well. They know how they're supposed to act in this pretending mode. They know how they're supposed to interact with each other. And according to them, their action had a predefined reaction that should happen from some of their friends. And to not react the way they think it ought to react was not playing fair. I know how it is with kids. They know how things happen in the real world. If you're pretending and you're not doing it the way it should be done, they call you on it. That's not how they baptize. You hear? That's not what mom normally does. That's not what dad normally does. Amen. And so it's not playing fair. They're pretending as children. They're virtually making requests in piping for you to dance. But it's not happening. It's not being done for them. I'm piping. 
but there's no dancing. We're mourning over here. Guys, you should be lamenting, but it's not taking place. And so when the response was different, when the response was different to the kids, the response was wrong. That's when they holler, that's not fair. That's not how you're supposed to play. And there's a sense of frustration that's revealed in the comparison here whenever the children don't get what they want. Christ says this generation is like a bunch of kids because they're piping and the response that they're hoping for isn't happening. And these are they're like a bunch of kids that's not getting what they wanted or what they expected to get. Christ says this is what this generation is like. They're expecting to do something and get a certain response. They're expecting to ask for something and God to work for them and show up to their beckoning call and be at their every answer. But they're frustrated whenever it falls outside of the norm and they don't get what they want and God doesn't necessarily work for them or meet their expectations and they're a little ill-mooded whenever they don't get their own way. I says, uh, that's what this generation is like. Their moms and their dads had all kinds of stuff done for them. As a nation of Israel, I've done all kinds of stuff for them. And so they, just leaning on their past, want me to show up in their generation, do the same things for them that I did for their parents. Amen. Them just to speak the word, them just to say the word, and for me to work for them. Someone say amen. know if it's childhood or whatever but childhood has planted stories in our minds the stories of that fantasy of stumbling upon the lamp rubbing it the genie appearing with the ability just to grant us whatever we desired whatever we wanted at our command and though I think we could stand here in the adult class and say this morning well childhood for most of us uh, is gone for some it's been longer gone than we wish to count Hallelujah. But the desire still yet to have anything that we would want lingers in the recesses of our minds. And if there was ever a man that ever came close to such a moment of just say what you want and you get it, Solomon was such a man. The Bible says in the scenario of the Old Testament that God asked Solomon, he says, Solomon, ask what I shall give you. Now, Solomon could have asked of anything that his heart desired. Amen. It was like handing Solomon a blank check, so to speak. The sky was the limit whenever it came to whatever Solomon may request. But Solomon, instead of asking God to do something for him, he asked that God would do something for him to him he asked for wisdom and wisdom in essence is not just something like a commodity or article that you can just uh, you know put on the trading span and you just give it and take it wisdom is something that must be cultivated inside of a character of an individual it's got to be cultivated you just can't give wisdom it has to be cultivated it has to be initialized into a soul so Solomon wasn't asking just for something he was asking God to do something to him Hallelujah. Yet whenever he asked for that wisdom, knowing that God would have to do something to him in order for him to have that, the Bible says God's response to Solomon basically was, Solomon, you could have asked me to do anything 
for you, but instead you asked me to do something to you. And since you asked me to do something to you, the house you didn't ask for, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And the health you didn't ask for, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And the riches you didn't ask for, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Because you asked me to do something to you, I'm going to grant unto you things I would have done for you. So it's say amen. And yet we'll find later in Scripture with the Lord Jesus Christ that the reverse of all of that is true as well. In Matthew 20, Jesus touches the eyes of the two blind men that call out to him as he leaves Jericho. I surmise from the Scriptures that this is probably a common occurrence that as Jesus is leaving, there's people probably always crying out, just one more thing, Jesus, before you go. Just one more thing, Jesus, before you leave. Two blind men that are sitting by the way. We see the other harmony of the Gospels, namely in Mark 10. This One of those two blind men very well could have been blind Bartimaeus that we read of the very similar thread of a story in Mark chapter number 10. But they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And the Bible tells us when Jesus heard that, that he stood still and he goes to them and he asked the question then that I posed to you this morning. He says, what will ye that I shall do unto you? Again, in our terms, what do you want me to do to you? He did not. You must understand the question just as much as what he did ask, what he did not ask. He did not ask those two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? His question was, what not what do you want me to do for you, but what do you want me to do to you? Someone say yes. Jesus is getting a little specific, if you will, in his question. Because in Matthew 20, before he meets the blind men, he has been met by the mother of John and James, the, the sons of Zebedee. And to her, listen now, to her he asked the question when she approached him, what wilt thou? Now that's a broad brush. <laughs> he asked her, what do you want? And the mother of James and John, she wanted him, Jesus, to do something for. Her. She says, I would, Lord, that you would allow my son to sit on your right hand and the other one to sit on your left hand whenever you come into your kingdom. You ask me what I want, I want you to do something for me and for my boy. He said, so we've been there, got the t-shirt. He said, I'm approaching these two boys. I'm not just asking what they want. He said, I'm asking them what they want me to do to them. So I'm getting a little bit more detailed here. And be, why? Why? Because Jesus has a quest in the New Testament. We see it again and again. I hope before this sermon is over, we realize it. Jesus had a quest in the New Testament, a little bit different than what he had in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he's constantly doing things for people. And we see that continue somewhat in the New Testament. But there is a new quest. There is a greater desire than just doing something for people to do something to people. Hallelujah. And so it's here. Amen. Among other places that he's wanting to do something to people. Look at it in the New Testament. The lame walking, that's not just doing something for them. 
that's doing something to them. The blind seeing, that's not just doing something for them. That's doing something to them. The unclean spirit being cast out of the demon or the demonic people, that's doing something to them. The mute that begins to speak that had not the ability to speak. He's not speaking for them, but he did something to them so they could speak for themselves. See, there's something about when you get something done to you, it exceeds the level of having something done for you. Someone say yes. So there's a paradigm shift happening in the New Testament Scripture about what had taken place in one generation and what was taking place now in Jesus' generation. More and more people were coming to have something done not for, but to them. And Brother Terry, that did not replace God doing something for those people. It, just, it was just another facet to the diamond, if you will. Just another facet. Amen. The desires of the people. Amen. Had of the Lord. That they could take advantage of the Lord. Amen. Not only can he do stuff for me, he can do something to me. We see this paradigm shift, this changing of thought process from the way it was in the Old Testament, the way that he was trying to generate it in the New Testament with the lame man that sat at the pool called Bethesda for 38 years. Jesus goes to the man and this man starts making excuses and starts defending his prolonged time of lameness sitting there in the pool by the pool of Bethesda. His defense for his lameness of 38 years in this location and in this place where the angel of the Lord would come down at a certain season and trouble the waters and those that are first in would be made whole of their affliction. He says the reason why that has not happened for me is because as I was about ready to get in, others are getting in before me and I don't have a man to put me in the water. In other words, I don't have anybody doing anything for me. Jesus, I don't have anybody doing anything for me. I don't have anybody working for me. There's not any man to do this for me. And it seems like with that response, as though he was wanting Jesus to pick him up and put him down in the pool. The next time it was trouble, Lord, why don't you be the one that's going to work for me? But Jesus did something a little better than that. He said, we're going to another level. I'm not going to do anything for you. Arise, take up your bed and walk and the moment he spoke that not was there just something done for him there was something done unto him someone say yes Jesus did something to him he had been waiting for years for somebody to work for him and Jesus says, what you've waited for years for somebody to do for you, he says, I'm going to do to you. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Hallelujah. 
Solomon, he asked for God to do something to him. And all these tributaries run into his life. Then of God doing something for him. Seemed to open up the door for things to be done for him. Since he asked for the Lord to do something to him. But in Jesus Christ, the reversal of that whole scenario is true as well. Because Jesus Christ came to the earth and did something for us so he could turn around just as he did to the blind man. And if the blind man, he said, notice now the Bible says, if you wilt, he asked the man. So if, if, if it's your will, in other words, if you'll allow me to, He says, if you allow me to, what do you want me to do to you? Just as Solomon had it one way, through Jesus Christ we have it another way. Because he came down and he did something with his time here upon the earth. He did something for us so he could turn around and do something to us. Watch me now. now I'm stuck in an Easter warp here just a little bit. But it's more than just one day. And Easter is a fine example of the many things, one of the many things that Christ has done for us. He died, we say, for us. He was our substitute, right? He suffered for us. He was judged for us. He was ridiculed and mocked for us. His burial, his death, his resurrection, it was all for us and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves yet while he was doing that for us he was setting the stage for what he desired to do to us if we would allow the bible says in luke 24 hallelujah before, amen, some things took place in Luke 24 and verse number 44 speaking to his disciples he said unto them he said these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you and as a matter of fact if you look a little earlier in Matthew 20 our scripture reading today you'll see where he told his disciples how he was going to go to Jerusalem he was going to be crucified he was going to be put on a cross he was going to be put in the grave he was going to rise again amen what he's telling them right now is something that he had spoken to them before amen of the things that he was sent on the earth to do for them he said all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me in other words the law and the prophets and the Psalms all of them spoke in some measure about my death and my burial and my crucifixion and my resurrection they all spoke of a time that I would come and do something for you but then the Bible says hello in verse number 45 then and opened he their understanding that the scripture that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them thus it is written thus it behoove Christ to suffer if I may for you to rise from the dead 
for you the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. But listen to him now. And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. Wait a minute. Jesus, your purpose came down that you would be buried, that you would die, that you would resurrect, suffer, be ridiculed for us. Yes, but that was nothing more than me setting the stage. That was nothing more than me setting the platform. I did for you so I could follow that up by doing something to you. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Some would say amen. He says, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Ladies and gentlemen, what birthed the New Testament church in the book of Acts wasn't the great God of heaven doing something for them, but that was God doing something in them. His spirit being dispatched and being inhabiting in them. Some would say yes. Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is what he did for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, if one is a substitute for all, then we're all dead. Amen. Paul was dead. Nadine was dead. Don was dead. All were dead. And, verse 15, that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them, to the one that died all this for him, rose again. Now this is, he did it, this what, that's what he had done for us. Now look at what he wanted to do to us. Therefore, in verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh-huh. The dying for us, the being buried for us, the being resurrected for us allows old things to pass in us and new things to flourish upon us. The for us <laughs> makes way for the in us. The for us makes way for the what's he going to do to us. He says if any man be in Christ. But see, I didn't just get in Christ through baptism. Christ got in me through baptism of spirit. And that does something too. That does something to you. If you allow me, are you all right with me reading the Bible? Amen. Romans chapter number eight. I want to read a few verses of scripture here and I want you to look at these. I won't hold you a whole lot longer, but I just, I want to read the Bible today for heaven's sake. Let me just read the Bible. It's going to preach to you. The Bible will preach to you. You know that in Romans chapter number eight and verse number one, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. <laughs> Meaning that whenever Christ died, that flesh died on the tree. Amen. For every, every individual under his, amen, dominion, that sin died as well there. And verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. Look now in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit what's that spirit that spirit that I received that spirit that's doing something to me for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit amen the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it's not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his and if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you in you in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you folks death burial resurrection that was for us in order to set the stage for his spirit to somehow get inside of us to us. I'm soaking these thin pages of this Bible up here this morning. But we live in a generation that's caught in time. Do for me, Lord. At my beckoning, at my call, when I need you, when you need to serve as my crutch, whenever I call you answer, do for me. But his ultimate purpose was for that just to set a stage for him to do something to them. They missed it if they leave this life only thinking God's purpose was to do something for them and not to I'm coming to a close. Stand with me. You'll help me a little bit here. I would dare say this morning that regardless of where we are in the spectrum of God's kingdom, unsaved or saved, that we can all probably give testimony. He's done something for us. Wherever we are in that spectrum, He's done something for us. People that walk through the church house doors maybe never entered a church before. If they would somehow push everything aside and get to the base roots of everything, they would be able to testify the same as many of you. God's done something for me in my life, even before me ever coming through these doors. He's done something for me. But the other side of the coin, that reality and light needs to be shined on, is that he doesn't wish to keep his relationship just at that level. He wants to do something to you. John the Baptist is sitting in prison, Brother Terry. He's sitting there. He has some doubts. He has some concerns 
about whether or not this individual that's walking around called Jesus Christ is the one that should come or whether they should be looking for another. And so he calls to his prison side some of his own disciples. And he says, I want you to go to this Jesus, the Christ. And I want you to ask and pose the question to him. Art thou he that should come? Are you the one that they spoke about? Or, or should we be looking for another? And the greatest testament that Jesus Christ could give to those disciples of John to go back and tell him was found in Matthew eleven five. He said, tell John the blind received their sight. I did something to them. Tell them the lame are walking. I did something to them. Tell them the lepers are cleansed. I did something to them. Tell them the death here, the dead are raised. What are we seeing over and over again? Another one was the, the gospel is preached to the poor. But by and large, most of the things that he said as a report to go back to John, that you know that this is the one that should come. This is he. Don't worry about looking for another. Is because John... We come back with news. He's doing things to people. It's not just the same old story that grandma and grandpa always talk about of him doing stuff for people, but he's doing things to people. He's doing something to them. And he says, what this is going to bring about, no doubt, John, is going to be the greatest thing, is that the greatest thing that God done for us is that he could someday do something to us. His death, what he did for us, was to bring about, amen, something just 50 days past Easter, known as Pentecost, 50 days after he did something for them, segued into the ability of doing something to them, of placing his spirit in them, and that spirit dispatching the old and bringing in the new, and not walking after the old flesh because it's dead now, but walking after the spirit in newness of life. But as with the blind men, so with us sit here, sit here today, the question of Christ is this If you wilt, what will you have me do to you? If you will, if you allow. What would you have me do to you today? That's the voice of heaven for us this morning. God is here not asking what he can do for us. He's wanting to know what he can do to us if we'll just allow him. If we bow our heads in this place, if someone would just open up. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.